0: So how do you cut through all the noise and clutter in the marketing world today? Maybe you start by unbranding. In this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, I get to visit with Alison Stratton, the co-author of a new book called Unbranding, a book she wrote with her husband. They are also work partners. Don't know how you do that, but we talk about that on the show as well. Not that much has changed in marketing, and I think that's the real point of the idea of unbranding. There are certain tools and techniques that people have adopted today, but what has always been true is it's about the customer experience. Check out this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Allison Stratton. She's a co author of four best selling business books, co author, or I'm sorry, co owner of an organization called Unmarketing, and co host of a podcast called UnPodcast. But today we're going to talk about a new book called Unbranding. So, uh, Allison, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. I think there's a trend. You're seeing an untrend. Did you feel funny when you were saying all of those words?
0: No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that, you know, again, like all good unbranding, um, <laughs> that un-thing is really kind of stuck with you guys, hasn't
1: it? Yeah, it's working for us. Yeah. So we're going to keep going with it. So yeah, unbranding is the newest book. So hopefully soon it'll be five best best-selling books, we're hoping. And uh, we're really excited about it. It's a little bit different than the other ones, but... Um, but still the un the un remains
0: yeah so so I always like to especially when you kind of have series like I had uh, David Mirman Scott on recently and and talking about actually the I think it's like the eighth revision of his um, very very popular book the New rules and um I always like to ask authors kind of what 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 new ground are you breaking here what what kind of addition to the world of branding and marketing books uh, do you think uh, you want unbranding to add?
1: Well, we kind of see the books as like a progression. So the three of the books, not all the books, but on marketing on selling and on branding, we kind of see as a a progression, not only through time, because obviously, when you write about marketing and branding today, everything changes with new technologies. And, uh, you know, the growth of social media, when we wrote on marketing, that was in 2009. And so things were different. I mean, there was there was different things we were worried about. There are different things that we were focusing on in marketing, although, you know, our basic message hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Still, we like to we like to update things and talk about things. And we actually the last book we wrote before this one was a second edition of Unmarketing, mostly because we were tired of, uh, you know, having to answer questions about something that we'd written in 2009 when so much in the landscape had had changed. So I'm not sure that it's so new as it is kind of a progression. Mm-hmm. And also we just have we spend so much time like we just live and breathe all these case studies, right? Constantly reading about different brands and what they're doing and stories and uh, consumer advocacy stories. And that's kind of what our whole world is about. And so, you know, once you've kind of read all of these stories and you're learning all the time, you just have new stories that you want to share, new lessons that you want to um, share with people as well and so I think that's what unbranding is really about it's kind of the progression through those three books into kind of what we see today with um, with what's going on in marketing and branding
0: yeah and I, I, I really love the you know kind of quick hits on companies you know that, that you interviewed or you at least observed uh, what they were doing but you know before we get into any of that I, I still I've been doing this a long time and I still find myself saying has anything really changed?
1: Well, I mean, it's funny, right? Like, we, one of kind of the, the main focus of the book is, you know, the age of disruption and kind of what what do you do as an entrepreneur, as a, a business owner, as an employee, if with all of these new things kind of coming at us where it feels like the ground underneath us is constantly shifting. And what we found through all of these lessons that when all these stories that we've read is really that it's about loyalty, that that's the anecdote to all of this change constantly happening around us is focusing on building loyalty and we've got to go through different ways to do that. And so that's an old lesson. Yeah. I mean, that's not a new lesson in business by any means, but you know, when you have all these tools at your disposal and there some of them are really bright and shiny and cool, or some of them are kind of age old tools that you've just maybe been using correctly for a really long time, focusing on, on those kind of old tenets of why we do business with people Although, you know, maybe it shouldn't be is kind of new, even though it's an old lesson, we've been so focused on chasing after whatever's cool, and whatever's new, it is kind of new again to say like, no, we're going to go back to why people buy our products, you know, providing great products and service. And so I guess it isn't really new, but it's something new to focus on, I think, because a lot of people have taken their focus off of it.
0: Well, and I, I tell you the last year or so I've been preaching that I think everything, or at least we're rewarded as marketers for focusing on customer experience uh, to, at really the expense of everything else. I mean, I even see, I think Google is rewarding people. If you've got bad data, if you've got bad directions, if your website doesn't load, I mean, those are all bad customer experiences. And I think that, that Google's even uh, rewarding and penalizing companies that, that aren't focused on
1: that absolutely because it, things are things travel things are shared and when you provide a good experience with you know a solid product or a solid service when you treat your customers well when you treat your employees well which is hugely connected to treating your customers well mm-hmm. you end up with stories that people want to share good stories and we have so many options now there's so much information and it's a focus on those good experiences that is then shared by people and bring new people to our doors and keep our current customers happy and coming back.
0: You know, and it's funny. I'm, I'm, Did you accidentally uh, summon me? Oh,
1: my goodness. <laughs> Siri decided it wanted to be a part of our interview. That's
0: I'm going to awesome. turn that off. I'm sorry, John. That, that's awesome. Um,
1: Siri says that you're doing a great job.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so... I'm kind of an old fart. And so, like, I'll tolerate a lot. Like, there's this French (laughs) restaurant that we go to that the people, I don't know where they find these servers. I really don't. They just are so, they're like your typical cliche French restaurant experience, you know, aloof and just could care less if you're there or not. But I love going there. I love this place. And so, so I tolerate it. But boy, my kids who are in their 20s, upper 20s, and lower 30s. Now, I mean, if they have, if something doesn't work the way they think it should work, they are gone. Uh, and I think that that is probably, I don't know if that's a generational thing or not, but I think that that's something that that a lot of organizations don't understand.
1: It could be, although it's also probably like part of loyalty is, you know, you've been going to that restaurant for a while. So you have a kind of a, a comfort feeling with the restaurant, even maybe even part of the comfort is that, you you know, the waiters kind of irritate you, you know, but you've you've had that experience a bunch of times. So you have they've built some kind of relationship with you, even if it's not a perfect relationship. They have made a connection with you in one way or another, and you know what to expect when you go, which is. A huge part of loyalty, right? even yeah. if it, even if part of what you know to expect is that that particular person is gonna be rude or that your food might take a while, still knowing what you're going to expect sometimes is better than trying a new place where you don't know what you're gonna expect, right? Yep. Like so yeah. I think what you may see is that we have so many choices. Like one of one of our things when we travel is do you try a new restaurant or do you go to the yeah, place where you perfect. know exactly what you're gonna get? And because we have just this like plethora of choices at our fingertips, Sometimes it is nice to go back to that place that you've been many times. So I think it's, you know, it's. I don't know if it's a generation thing or it's just that, you know, whatever it is with that restaurant, they haven't been able to connect with your kids or that generation yet. Maybe.
0: Well, and I would, I would actually, I'm halfway being facetious because I would actually contend <laughs> that that is their brand, right? And, <laughs> well, and they're actually staying, <laughs> they are staying true to it, and they attract a certain audience who thinks it's quaint somehow. So yeah, yeah I totally agree. So I want to get. um, I've written five. I'm working on number six book myself, and I've done them all like myself. You know, hold up in a writing cabin or in a coffee shop, or and you have actually had co-authors or a co-author, I should say, a co-author. Yeah, a (laughs) co-author. Yeah, uh, on your Um, on your books. And I wonder, how does that work from a role standpoint? Do you take certain roles? Do you just kind of write and then improve each other's writing? How do you how do you break it up?
1: Um, Well, we, it's kind of grown over the years because we've written all the books together. Um, So I think it's just kind of has developed Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, It started out with Scott um, doing the talking. So he would, you know, talk and, or I would see his keynotes or, you know, just things that he was sharing online and seeing that were resonating with people online. And then we took those stories and at the time some blog posts and things that he'd written. And then I kind of did the The meat, right? Like I took, you know, we have a funny story where he runs in the room in our house and he said like one word to me. Like, you know, you run, 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 run downstairs, and I can't even remember what the word is. I wish I could, but imagine like running downstairs and he yelled like pizza. And then he went running away. And like that was the thing. And then I and I took pizza, whatever the word was, and I can write a chapter out of that. So our process is he's great with hooks and he's great with ideas and he's brilliant at, you know, seeing things in a different way than I might see them and then I'm really good at research and I'm really good at writing to explain things to people and to take these kind of like tidbit hooks and turn them into a book. And it's not the same skill. It works really well for us. Um, And so for this book, like as the years have passed and we've written more and more together for this book, I really took our podcast. So I took the recordings of our podcast where we had had discussions about different stories and different brands. And I took those conversations and I made them into a book. Mm. So and then we bounce ideas off each other. But I w- I do the bulk of the writing. Um, and then Scott will look at it and he'll change things and he'll add something or he might have an idea of a, a certain way to express something that I hadn't thought of. And so he'll put that in. Uh, so that's kind of how we work together. So, you know, I would say I do the bulk of the writing. I always have. But even more as the years have gone on and the books have gone on, I do even more of the writing. And, uh, and Scott kind of shapes the ideas and has, has kind of the vision for what he wants in the book. And we sort of work that way. And then he does revisions and, um, and some of it is written, like some things he'll write, uh, as a, let's say as a blog post, and then we'll take that and we'll turn it into a chapter, which is kind of tweaking it a bit and making it, you know, part of the concept of the book. So that's how we work. And we save ideas back and forth to each other. We have for years. So like if we see an article that we like, we'll, you know, save it to a certain file and then we'll send it to each other. And then if that makes it onto the podcast, we record the podcast. And then I had a file of probably like 200 stories that we talked about in the podcast. And I, you know, go through all of those and then picked 100 stories that we wanted to include in the book. You know what I love about
0: that? And I've done some form of that over the years, too, is when you kind of have that intention for the podcast a little bit. Um. And maybe that was not the intention, but I mean, it it brings intention to the podcast knowing that it's also something much bigger.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the intention when we started the podcast. But what happened was that we had already written on on marketing when we did the podcast, when we started the podcast. And I think we had already written um, uh, the book of business, awesome and QR codes, kill kittens. And then when I was writing on selling, we had started the podcast and and so I was you know doing research and thinking about things we talked about going through my list of all the different articles that Scott and I have sent back and forth to each other you know during the 6 months since writing the last book and I was like oh my goodness I have conversation I have actual discussions like what we both thought about this particular issue mm-hmm. and interviews that we've done and all this you know content and so why am I reinventing the wheel when I can go and listen to what we said about it and so yeah I just went and listened and um realized oh my goodness this is like the best resource so when it came to writing on branding that's where i started like i didn't i just started with the the, you know the last podcast after content that was included in unselling and kind of started there (laughs) and went forward and it was awesome especially because we ended up doing this kind of idea of 100 brand stories right so that's a lot of that's a lot of stories. Yeah. And, and so the, the podcast made it so accessible to go through and, you know, figure out which ones we wanted to use and, and which had been kind of the most, um, it's just which ones people had reacted to the mm-hmm. most and which ones we had the best conversations about because we don't always agree about things on the podcast. And sometimes those are the best experiences, right? Yeah. Like, why don't we agree? Yeah. Um, either as consumers or as marketers, why don't we agree on what's happening here? So it was, um, yeah, it was great. It's wonderful for content. Yeah, the, the book
0: literally wrote itself.
1: No, <laughs> that's what Scott Scott loves to say. Oh, it's so easy. Like he once said to an audience that when I happened to be there, he's like, "Oh, the hardest part is like selling the book." And I just looked at him like, "No, the hardest part is not selling the book." So,
0: so you led right but... into my uh, really my next question. Do you ever have strong opinions, Allison?
1: Oh, I have very strong opinions, of course. So how do you um,
0: get those heard? Because um, Scott's pretty big and loud too.
1: No, Scott's actually, we actually work really well together. It's one of the things that I love about writing together and our podcast together. I think we, of all the things we do together, you know, like working together is really up there. We work really well together. We have a good respect for each other in terms of what we think about things and what we can do. And Scott, the, starting the podcast especially was intimidating because Scott is so, you know, seasoned at being a speaker and and also being on camera and recording. And I was really a rookie. And so I've learned a lot from him about how to do that and how to prepare for it and what's expected. And so, yeah, I don't have a lot of trouble getting – um, my opinions heard. <laughs> I might be the only person,
0: <laughs> but I don't
1: have any problem getting Scott to listen to my opinions.
0: Well, it does sound like you have a great working relationship. I know that I don't think my wife and I could work very well together. We've been married 30 plus years and it's hard for We're just now getting to the point where we can actually cook together. Uh, <laughs> and it's really just because I approach everything so differently than she does and vice versa. Um, and so I, I can't imagine working together, but I love hanging out with her husband.
1: I think that's partially part of the right... Like, like you asked about the writing. I, I have heard about people who, will, who work with co-authors and they each write chapters and they yeah. share them and stuff. That would be really hard for me because I definitely have a certain way that I like to write mm-hmm. and a certain process that I have. And it would be really hard for me to work with a co-author who was like really... In the chapters when I was working on them. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Scott and I kind of frame out all the ideas together and he brings a lot of that and then I write and then he reads what I've written and then we change things from there. But I would have a really hard time if, like, every time I opened up a document, there was like a new paragraph in there. I'd probably lose my mind. So (laughs) it works for us. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the specifics of the book.
0: Um, one One of the questions I hear all the time, and I'm sure you guys are getting this a lot too, is you know, people look at Brands like ours and they think oh, I'm just getting started though and you know You've been blogging for this or you've been doing this all this time and you know How do I now because like when I started blogging there were ten of us maybe you know in the marketing space and like how do you now? Figure out how to cut through what I think is such a noisy landscape.
1: I think actually the more research we do and the more people we talk to and the more stories that we hear it's actually the people doing the same things that people were doing that made them successful all along are the things that make people successful now. It's just that there's kind of this megaphone around things that they can you know go spread to so many people. I think the the tried and true ideals of taking care of your customers, solving a problem, and you know providing good service, working as honestly as you can, supporting your workers, employing your employees. Um, being a good employee and being a good co-worker, those things are still tried and true. I, I do agree like, you know, when we started out in social media, if you were kind of a early adopter, you definitely had an advantage, of course. Like, I, I feel, you know, often feel badly for somebody who thinks, you know, jumping into Twitter today is going to be like it was in 2008 or 2009. It's not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what makes people share things is exactly the same thing as what's always made people share things. So the focus shouldn't be on the Pushing that spread or trying to achieve this, you know, pretend goal of reaching a million people—you're never going to meet anyway. It should be about making something that you're proud of, creating something you're proud of, and then that's when your job is done and seeing it go out into the world. And that's how I look at the books. and And so for me, I'm kind of like I'm not the person who follows every number and sees every sale and reads everything that comes back review wise. I'm kind of the person who believes you. I did my best and I sent it out into the world, and then you know, other than taking care of customers or answering questions, I feel like that's my job as an author. Uh, and I know not everybody sees it that way, but, um, I think it's the same for business. You know, the stories that many of the stories that we read were simple stories about, you know, people with great products that found their community in a really natural organic kind of way. They didn't use tricks and they didn't, you know, game the system. They just worked at it and nobody wants that answer. Everyone wants to think, well, you just put this on your site and it'll go crazy. But, um, that doesn't seem to be the case, at least from not from the stories that we're reading.
0: Well, and I think that that does cause some people to jump into tools and technologies and platforms because they want to be they want to catch the next Twitter. And I think that boy, that if there ever was a bad reason for doing something, that's probably it.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And also, it's we only have so much attention. And I know a lot of the people that you know we talk to like are in the entrepreneurial space, but it's the same if you work for a company or if you own a large company. Whatever you do. It's it's about focus, right? You only have so much attention during the day. You only have so many resources financially and with time and energy. And so if you're going to put so much focus on chasing what the next Twitter is going to be with the chance that you might be the person who gets in first, yeah. you're taking that attention away from something else. Something's going to give. And so you need to decide, like you, you always need to ask yourself why, right? They, we wrote, when we did QR codes, kill kittens, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's funny and we're kind of joking, but we're also seriously saying like this, this is a technology that people are using just because they want to use a technology. And if you don't ask yourself why, and then how, (laughs) very important, then you're just doing it for no reason. And it's going to hurt you instead of help you.
0: So I have, uh, contended for a long time that, that after awareness i mean people have to know you <laughs> exist if if you're going to have any hope of uh Turning them into a customer uh, trust, I think, is like the number one objective after somebody knows you. Um, what did you find in talking to companies? Is there a common sort of thread on how people build trust? Because that's one of those things that people tell you be trustworthy, but you know, <laughs> how, how do you how do you
1: make that happen? What exactly does that mean? Um, yeah, I think that actually a lot of the people that a lot of the stories and and companies that we looked at. Built a lot of trust through how they handled mistakes, you know, how they handled negative things happening. And so, you know, we have a story about a company that um, was a really small company and they sold jewelry and they, you know, had gotten, you know, I can't remember exactly the number, but, you know, let's say 120 orders, you know, coming into the holiday season. They'd ship them all off, put them in envelopes, all set. You know, and that was, I think, their second or third year in business, big year, right? That's for a small company mm-hmm. just getting started. They didn't; they weren't an Oprah magazine or anything, just a little company. Yeah. And then they got a call the next day from the post office that the um, mailbox that they shipped all of their packages in had actually caught on fire. And so, I mean, terrible, right? And so, oh, you know, they... They went through a terrible experience with the post office. It was in the UK, a terrible experience with the post office. You know, first they said, your letters are fine, they're at a depot, and then they go to the depot, they're not allowed to go there, and blah, 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 blah. And it turns out that in the end, the post office sent along to their customers burnt packages. Okay, so think about this. You're in, in the world of social media. You're a brand new company. You just had your best holiday season, 120 orders. You stayed up probably for a week making bracelets and packing them and shipping them. And then you have this terrible communication with the post office. You think you're going to get your products back to you and they might be damaged, but at least they won't go to the customers. And instead, you start getting customer emails one after another with pictures of burnt jewelry and people saying like, hey, like my my purchase kind of smells burnt, like what's going on? And, you know, a lot of people would have blamed the post office. Yeah. They would have freaked out, right? And instead of doing that, they just replied to every single customer. They made a list of all the customers. They replied to every single one. They were really honest. They answered quickly. They didn't avoid the emails. They didn't avoid the messages, avoid the messages. And their customers were very forgiving and they gave them the time to make new bracelets and send them out. And, they ended up doing like a fire sale where afterwards to thank their customers who had stuck with them and, you know, kind of played with it a little bit. And in the end, they ended up coming out the other side with a much larger following because people shared, yeah. not this company is terrible. They avoided my emails for three days. They tried to cheat me. They shared this company had a really bad experience. Look how great they've been about, you know, refunding my money or sending me more product or all these things. So I th- I think the companies that build the trust are the ones because something Inevitably, a mistake is going to happen. That's just life and, and things happen. But it's how you handle yourself as a business when things aren't looking so good that sometimes can get turned around into being the best experiences. Yeah. So let's end up
0: um, talking about personal branding and how that okay. kind of relates to it because, uh, I, I, you know, that's, that's been a hot topic for a while. And I think some people get it right. Some people, again, you know, end up with business cards that say social media expert, <laughs> <them>. But uh,
1: <laughs> he's promised you wouldn't make fun of my business cards, John. <laughs> but uh, I'm just what, kidding. No, I don't no, have no. business cards.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, you're gonna get me going on another story, but never mind. Um, so, uh, so, t- so tell me, you know, how does somebody approach this idea of personal branding in an unbranding world?
1: Well, you know, I always, for me, as uh, not only like in doing this for my work, but also with. Some teenagers at home. Um, I think the personal branding ex- conversation is really important. I think we live in a world where you can find out a lot about people, and so I'm kind of on the on the side of, and I know Scott is as well, that you shouldn't share things online that you don't want people to see, and you should be careful, and you should be cautious, and you should feel like you're in public, yeah. which is a hard thing when you're sitting at a computer at home. And you're kind of like thinking that, you know, you're a keyboard commando or whatever. Like I really believe in um, presenting yourself, understanding as when you're sitting at your computer, when you have your phone in your hand, you're in public. And anything that you say, anything that you do is public. Yeah. And that includes emails and that yep. includes private Facebook message uh, groups and all this kind of stuff. All it takes is one screenshot and whatever you've done, it can be public. Yep. Now, on the other side of things, I, in many ways, I like it because I like knowing who my... I'm not going to get into like a, politi- a political conversation, but I like knowing what people stand for. And I like knowing um, what a CEO believes. It's important to me that I wor- that I send my money to companies that I, I believe in. And so I like it. I like being able to know those things. But I do think that in a world without gatekeepers, it can be dangerous for a company um, when people don't think about personal branding because you're only a, a LinkedIn search away from being connected to wherever you work. And that can look really bad to your business or for the kids from the kids point of view as a parent, you know, what you're sharing online can affect where you how your first is your first employer going to hire you? Are you going to get into the college that you wanted to get into? Like all these things are searchable. So um, I think I'm thankful that I didn't grow up in that world, but I think that it's inevitable. Um that now we need to think about it. So I just kind of see it as in public. That's what I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I I can't tell you how many emails I've, you know, responded to it, but deleted before I sent it. Uh, because, yeah. you know, you, you, at the end of the day, literally at the end of the day, and you're tired and you yeah. get this email from, you know, somebody you're like, seriously, <laughs> and you want to go like all passive aggressive. And then you just hit delete because.
1: And if you would say it to their face, like I, I love people standing up for things. If you would say it to their face, then go for it. But if you're not willing to defend it, then you shouldn't say it. Yeah. Right. If you wouldn't go up to the person and say it to their face. And that includes. You know, private, like I said, private Facebook groups, like people get this feeling of safety, but it's not, it's not really private, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think people need to be careful, but I also think it's a good thing that we know where people stand on different issues.
0: So so Allison, where would you like to send people to pick up on branding or just to even connect with you and Scott?
1: Um, Well, Scott is on marketing on Twitter and our Facebook page is on marketing as well. And I'm on Allison on Twitter And on branding uh, is going to be, I'm not sure when this is going to be out, but the beginning of October, it'll be in bookstores near you and Amazon and all kinds of good places. And on marketing.com, there'll be a link there if you need to find um, an online store selling it or a store near you. And I hope you guys like it.
0: Yeah, and we'll have links links in the show notes. And uh, we're recording this in October of 2017. So depending upon when you're listening, uh, go pick up on branding. So, Allison, thanks for joining me. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you guys out there on the road soon. Thank you, John. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.